Welcome to Out of Nowhere, where we talk with marketers, makers, and value creators about where they've been and where they're going next. Let's dive in. Hey everyone, this is Justin Watkins of Native Digital. Today we're talking fintech with Chris Costello from Bloom. As you'll hear, they've built a platform to fix 401ks and keep them fixed. So those days of ignoring it, meaning to get around to it, and hoping for the best can now be over. Kind of the backstory is um, I actually started in the business uh, in the financial advice investment uh, business way back in the mid-1990s, back when they used to call people stockbrokers, which they don't call people stockbrokers anymore. Um, But that's uh, 1995 was when I started and kind of came up the ranks through some of the big uh, Wall Street-based wirehouse brokerage firms. Uh, some of those names are, are no longer around. Some of it have been acquired. Um, uh, and and in, in doing so, um, we started to carve a niche. I say we, myself, and my business partner started to carve a niche um, around retirement planning specifically. We wanted to, to be really well-known in the Kansas City area for being good at helping people make the transition from work life into retirement. Um, and in doing so over the course of, you know, what we're here to talk about today is Bloom and Bloom got its genesis in 2013. So basically for the first 18 years of my career, I had a front row seat to, to what you said a moment ago, which was an opportunity or a problem that we thought we could solve, which is, um, kind of, kind of twofold. Number one, the way that the financial services sector is set up and the way that most advisors price their services, it really self-selects away from clients that have smaller balances. So so younger folks or people without a gazillion dollars oftentimes don't even get an opportunity to meet with a financial advisor. You know, if you think about a traditional advisor, they've got a finite number of hours in their day they're interested in obviously doing the best that they can for their themselves and their family too. And so they can either meet with 10 people a day that have 10,000 to invest or 10 people a day that have a million dollars to invest. Um, and so clearly there's a lot of folks that don't have millions of dollars that don't get a shot to meet with a financial advisor. And um, kind of later in the journey, um, my business partner and I decided to break away from those big firms and we started a, a fee only um, fiduciary investment advisory firm in 2004. Um, and even at that firm, the firm that myself and my business partner owned and operated, we too were guilty of, of, of having um, these account minimums, let's say. You know, we, we really were looking for people that in our case, in our situation, that had at least a half a million dollars that they could in, invest with us either right away or in, in the not too distant future. Um, and hence kind of our focus around the retirement um, planning um, niche, if you will, folks getting ready to make that transition. Oftentimes they've saved a decent chunk of money. Those are the people we were looking out for. The problem was, is that me personally, my own mom and dad technically wouldn't have qualified to get in the door of my firm. They didn't have the kind of assets that we were after. And I always thought, man, if if I wasn't in the business, my brother's in the business too. But if we weren't in the business, my, my parents wouldn't have had any options of, of where to turn for help. They really would have had to figure it out for themselves. The other thing that happened over and over, and this is more anecdotal, in that period of time before we started Bloom, I can't tell you how many times that you know I would be 
could be hanging out in my cul-de-sac with my neighbors, could be standing on the sideline of my kid's soccer game, um, just out meeting people, reconnecting maybe with friends from college. And they would find out that I was a financial advisor. And inevitably, the conversation would morph. Um, and eventually, uh, kind of somewhat sheepishly, uh, my friend or neighbor who, or whomever would get around to saying something along the lines of, hey, I've got this thing through my employer. Um, you may have heard of it before. I think they call it a 40K1, which, which obviously they're 401Ks, but I knew what they were talking about. And they, they, they kind of sheepishly get around to asking me if I'd help them with it. You know, they'd say something along the lines of, you know, I've got this thing. I know that there's money coming out of my paycheck. I signed up for it. It's going into this 401K thing, but I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing with it, am I supposed to, you know, pick the investments, or is my company doing that for me? And, and basically, they would ask me if I wouldn't mind taking a look at their account and giving them some advice. And every single time, I said, "Of course, I will." You know, make a copy of your statement, make a PDF, email it over to me, and I'll take a look at it. And so, over these 18 years prior to Bloom, you know, I feel like I had a chance to do that. I don't know, maybe 50 times or so. And 90% of the time, I would look at my friend, someone I'd met, my neighbor, whomever, their statement, and I'd see that it was a complete garbled mess of no strategy whatsoever. And it wasn't just my nitpicky opinion. Any financial advisor would look, would look at this and say, you know, clearly they're, they're not really following any strategy. It was kind of like a hodgepodge of random investments that have been cobbled together. So, so really those two things, the fact that finan the financial services industry really favors the wealthy and kind of forces everybody else to just figure it out for themselves. And then we saw firsthand when people are forced to figure it out for themselves, it doesn't work out well. And, and I should add too, these people, my friends that, that I was looking at their 401ks, you know, I like to think that I've, I've done well and, and the circle of friends that I've, I, I run around with have done well. So these are people that are doing well in their careers, college educated, maybe advanced degrees, doing quite well, but they're just not money managers. And the problem is for a lot of, for a lot of Americans, the money that they have in their retirement savings through their employer is oftentimes their largest store of wealth. And the single most important thing that will determine if they will ever be able to stop working. The 401k, whether you like it or not, it's a terrible name, whether it's, you know, it's, no matter how confusing it is, that is most likely the biggest way to be able to stop working in retirement. And, and you know, people, people are doing the hard thing for the most part, which is the grown-up thing to save money. You know, they're, they're like, okay. I'll forego some money in my paycheck now so that I have money for a rainy day down the road. So it's like they're doing the hard part. Let's at least just run the last mile of the marathon and make sure the dang money's invested correctly. Because I just saw so many times when people were left to their own devices, you know, it just wasn't invested properly. And so, and, yeah, so you and so Bloom, you've you've created a product which you pointed out there there was a lot of friction in the process, and and good advisors can only meet with so many people, um, and so you've you've removed some of that friction, you've made it more accessible. Well, it, what stands out uh, to me about uh, kind of your first person point of view and story here is what we do is customer acquisition. We're trying to figure out how do we pull 
customers into these products. And what I think is interesting is that, like you said, it's probably the number one asset that they have. They're putting significant uh, of, of, of their income into this. And in terms of the amount of effort that they've put into figuring out if it's right or not, they meet a guy at a soccer game and ask him for his tips. And it wasn't that they sought him out. It's you introduce yourself and you're like, oh yeah, this, this thing right. that I probably should have done. Not even a Google search in some cases, right? right? It's just like, oh, this is right in front of me. Maybe I should talk. It's interesting how we uh, put that stuff off or so many of us do. We put that stuff off. We don't want to talk about switching or evaluating or any of that stuff because I guess it's intimidating. I mean, what do you, what do you, I'm, I'm sure you've given a lot of thought to this. Why do people kind of put that off, kind of refuse to kind of self-educate on that? I mean, for the majority of people, what do you think that is? You know, one of the things I say is that over the years, our, our three biggest competitors to Bloom have been intimidation, confusion, and apathy which is absolutely the truth when it comes to personal finance. You know, there is a segment of the population, uh, myself included, let's call ourselves finance nerds, personal finance nerds that, that really have an interest in, in, in doing this um, uh, and, and trying to get it right and, and have recognized for whatever reason, maybe it was how they were raised or an epiphany they had, but they have just chosen that in small, you know, we have all got limited time in our life to prioritize things. And and unfortunately, I think a fairly small amount of the population have recognized the, the importance of this. And I wish, I wish it was like, you know, decades ago when you'd work for a company for 30 years and you'd retire and the company would send you a check in your mailbox for the rest of your life and you'd be taken care of, you know, um, I, that's actually a pretty decent system. Um, and, and, but that's not the system we live in today. So that, that, that impetus, that retirement has been put on the backs of Americans. And some people have like recognized that and said, okay, I, I better get this figured out. And a lot of people are, are kind of just setting and forgetting it and hoping for the best. Um, and it's been a, you know, as we sit here today on, on January 21st, although the market has sold off a little bit here in the last, you know, let's say month or so, um, for the most part, you know, minus the, the, the short, um, you know, crisis we had at the beginning of the, of the pandemic in March and April of 2000, when the market sold off significantly, but just about as quickly as the market sold off, it recovered um, to a lot of people's surprise. And so there's a lot of folks, I think that what plays to this apathy to, to some extent is that for a lot of people, and if you, if you think about it, if you are, let's say, 33, 32 years old or younger, for the most part in your adult working life, you've never really been through a protracted bear market because I'm going back to the financial crisis of 2008, 2009. That was a serious crisis and, and markets sold off in some cases 50%. Um, but if you were just coming out of college in 09, so that's, you know, what is that 12, 13 years ago, you know, mid thirties today, Really, from, from the end of the financial crisis in 2009 up until today, again, minus the blip we had during the pandemic, the market has had a pretty steady climb upward. And I think a lot of people have been able to kind of get away with just kind of closing their eyes and picking choices in their 401k. Yeah. Everybody's a winner. Yeah. And being okay. Yeah. It's like yeah. a lot of people, their, their gauge for if their 401k is okay is you know, whatever their cadence of logging into their 401k might be, whether it's weekly or monthly or every Random. few months, yeah. they've, each time they've logged in, it's been more than it was the last time they looked at it. Now, some of that is because they're contributing to it. But for the my point is, for the most part, 
the market has lulled a lot of people to sleep. Um, again, it was scary at the beginning of the pandemic, but it's almost like by the time you realize what you should be scared about, the market started to recover. Um, and so I think that also has a big factor in kind of playing into some of this apathy. Some of the challenges we've had, you know, are client acquisition, because I think a lot of people are like, I really don't need to pay, even though Bloom charges a fraction of what traditional advisors charge, uh, a lot of people are like, I don't need to pay anybody anything for this. Like, I'm, yeah. this money management stuff is easy. Uh, the, uh, I think a lot of us don't understand what compound interest is until a long time. You know, it takes a long time to figure that out. I don't think, uh, uh, even though it's as simple as, you know, my third grader uh, could figure it out, we don't learn it until later in adulthood of like, oh, Compound interest is actually pretty interesting, right? Yeah, like, and it's in it in and you know I don't I don't know that you can um, actually you know this country has tried and spent probably billions and billions of dollars trying to convince people to care about their finances earlier, you know, and they've talked about compound interest. They've talked about the person who starts saving at twenty five, what they'd have at sixty, versus the person that even waits five or ten years. That the massive gap that they leave off the table. And, you know, in some cases, I think the fringe margin, I think that appeals to, um, it's still, we're still having trouble getting people to move off the needle and understand the importance of this. I think that's probably why, you know, in Bloom's case, our, you know, our sweet spot has been like the median age of a Bloom client is almost 40 years old. Um, and you look at the bell curve and it's like, we have the vast majority of our clients are 30 to 50, kind of in that range right there. Um, not to say we don't have a handful of 22 year old clients and 72 year old clients, but I think something happens, um, and I, I hate to use generalizations, but just trying to, trying to maybe solve for why, you know, that demographic has, 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 has come to bloom more than other age ranges. Um, you know, you hit your thirties, you start to maybe realize you, you, uh, are not immortal. Um, you start to maybe take inventory of your life a little bit. You're starting to, you know, maybe not think about what retirement is going to look like, but, but know that, that, that they will come. Maybe you're married. Maybe you've started to have a few kids. And so I think you know, taking care of your finances is an adult thing to do, which probably explains why the vast majority of our clients that sign up with us are in their 30s and 40s. So that's, that makes a ton of sense. Um, from a psychographic standpoint, what do you think is more, what do you find is more um, going to be like a core audience for you? Is it someone who says, oh, great, they can take care of this. So I don't have to think about it. They want to be very passive in the way they approach it. Or is it more of the kind of aggressive person who's like, I'm going to get after this. And I really need this as a sort of like a power tool to use. Like, which one do you think it is? It's, it's a great question because um, we, we thought early in the days of Bloom, what we were building Bloom for, we, we, we call it the Annie's of the world. And the reason why we say that is because that's actually the name of my sister. And, and I'll tell you a funny story um, that I've told a lot of times before, but Annie's four years younger than me. This goes back to, you know, 2014 or so. So at that time she was, she was in her mid thirties. Uh, she always loves it, by the way, when I tell people how old she is on, you know, on these public forums, but uh, she was in her mid thirties. And when we were first getting Bloom off the ground, like first building the product, we needed some test 401k accounts to test the algorithm on how it would work inside of 401. So clearly, you know, we called friends and family and said, Hey, can I get your username and password to your 401k so we can test out this, this new technology. And, uh, 
even though I wasn't the, 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 the nicest older brother, uh, fortunately, Annie uh, uh, relented and let me have her login credentials. And I, I logged into her 401k. This is around 2014 or so. I logged into her 401k and I saw that all the money in the world, I knew my sister's financial situation, every dollar in the world in her nest egg, she's saved for retirement, was sitting in the freaking money market fund in her 401k. And so for oh, no. folks listening, you know, a lot of people will know what that means. Some, some that may not, that basically means it wasn't invested. And so I call her up, meaning it wasn't invested and not earning anything. That's the key thing. So I call her up and I'm like, did you just sell, did you bail out of the, your investments? Did you sell out of everything? Were you watching Jim Cramer or something on CNBC and he scared you out of the stock market? And she said, no, I, she's like, I haven't changed anything. She's like, I remember when I was signing up for this, I had to make a bunch of decisions on where to invest it. And she's like, I figured I needed, I put it on my list of things to call you meaning me, you know, to get some help. And then, you know, life took over and she was chasing my nephews around the house or whatever. And, you know, it just never got invested. And so the problem is that money sat idle in a period, you know, we talked about the financial crisis earlier. She started at that job in about 2009, that particular job. And so oh, we're no. talking 2009 oh. to 2014, like the market doubled. Oh. oh no. Like massive. She left massive gains on the table. Oh man. And I always end that story by saying my sister was valedictorian of a big high school class. Yeah, yeah. She was a 4.0 girl, almost 4.0 in college, way smarter than me, um, you know, doing well in her career. It just, this wasn't something that came intuitively. Not top of mind. Yep. Yeah, not top of mind. And so when we were first building Bloom, I'm like, there's lots of Annie's that are like that out there. Mm -hmm. Smart people focused on other things, raising kids, activities, careers. That's our target market. The problem is the Annie's of the world are an elusive creature. They're not paying attention to traditional personal finance blogs that often. You know, it's just not a priority. They'd rather be, you know, again, playing with her kids or maybe watching her favorite show, but not reading blogs on personal finance. And so as we marketed over the years, a lot of our channels for marketing were into those areas where you know, personal finance blogs and, and influencers and things of that nature. And that just wasn't, um, you know, something that my sister was following. So what we found out was we were getting a much more engaged client. So somebody that was reading those blogs, somebody that understood, like, I, I can't like neglect this. This needs to be, everybody's got priorities in their life, you know? And for some people, whether it's right or not, finances are low on the totem pole. Um, and so what we found is from a psychographic standpoint, the people who prioritize their finances a little bit more, who, you know, would occasionally read a blog or something on personal finance, doesn't mean they're reading the Wall Street Journal every day. I don't mean that. Um, but, you know, some of these new personal finance sites and influencers, we had more success speaking through those channels and, and garnering clients than, than trying to go after people that kind of look like my sister, even though Annie, the Annie's out there need, need this probably as much or more than, than anybody. Yeah. It sounds like from a, on the adoption curve, it's not the finance nerds uh, or early adopters. It's not the laggards. It's the people who are kind of like in the early mainstream, the early majority, and they're starting to raise their hand occasionally. And they're like, okay, I'm 40 or, you know, 35 or whatever. And 
Uh, I've been, you know, peeling off 5%, 7%, 15%. Maybe I should figure out where this thing's going. Yeah. yeah they look at their 401k and, it, and it's all of a sudden it's 30, 40, 50 grand. It's not becoming it's not something. Yeah. Grand. It's becoming yeah. something. Right. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And in one of the ways I would also describe bloom too, is the, maybe the person that's not appropriate, uh, not a, not a target bloom client at all would be somebody who's working with, who's got a good relationship with a financial advisor they trust. You know, we're not looking to pull clients away from good financial advisory relationships. You know, good fiduciaries that are out there that have earned the trust of their clients, putting their clients' interests first. If you've got enough money or you know somebody who's willing to help you and you trust them, more power to you. That's not our target market at all. Um, which is oftentimes, you know, very, very wealthy clients earn the right or they earn the access to work with advisors and oftentimes have advisors lined up around the block to compete for their business. So that's not our target market. The, the day trader, you know, the, the person that's really super into the stock market who would rather read research reports on companies in the economy than, than watch a, a, a football game. You know, somebody who's just super into managing their own money feels confident that they've got, you know, the, the knowledge to do it themselves. Uh, that's not our target market at all either. Um, again, it's somebody that, just like you said a moment ago, that's kind of recognized, hey, this is important. Um, I want to be engaged a little bit. I want to try and educate myself a little bit, but I don't know that I ever want to know, feel like the responsibility of, you know, getting up in the morning, brushing my teeth and staring my money manager in the face in the morning in the mirror. Um, and, and so, so maybe a, a delegator would be a good um, yeah. term for that. Yeah. You've, you've created accessibility to the sort of uh, market who didn't have the means to get a, an advisor and they just want it to be passive and easy and just know that it's taken care of. Right. Mm -hmm. So you, yeah, you're not trying to solve uh, a problem that was already solved with uh, the wealthy. It's, it's the people who are just starting to get a little bit of wealth and, and they needed some help and they needed right. it. And it wasn't available at scale and you're providing that. And I think about, you know, I, I, I realize I've made this personal a couple of times, but, you know, I think about had something like this been available, you know, many years ago, basically it took technology getting to a certain level before we could, you know, use technology and algorithms to be able to manage portfolios at scale. Um, but I think about, you know, decades ago, like when my mom and dad were first starting off in life and coming out of college and starting their, you know, the, our family, um, there's nothing like this and no financial advisor for them to turn to. Well, what if something like Bloom had existed back then? You know, I, I mentioned earlier, my mom and dad didn't have a lot of resources, but maybe having something that could have helped them. Because what I, what I say from time to time is when, if you think about if you think about the trajectory, I use the analogy of a, the trajectory of a rocket or a satellite, you know, when NASA or SpaceX is launching something into space, you know, they have to be so precise in, in, in their calculations, because if you start off track a little bit, you know, millions of miles down the road, it's really, really off track. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's the same thing with personal finance early in your life. If you can just kind of get a couple small nudges and even directional advice by the time 30 years down the road comes, when my mom and dad maybe were ready for retirement, uh, that can make a compounded uh, difference in their life just from a couple small nudges and changes in advice and structure that they would have done earlier in their days. And my dad passed away early at age 63, did not have one single day of retirement in his life. And I think like, 
What if something would have been around back then? Maybe he could have had I mean, a year of retirement or two years, you know, my, they could have spent more time with my kids or grandkids or my dad loved to do road trips. They could have done a few more of those, you know, I mean, this is, a, this is important stuff when you think about it in the context of how good financial advice can literally change the trajectory of someone's life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, in our family, we've got a few people retiring this year and one of them <laughs> sort of let me into their finances. And I looked at it, I was like, man, I, I wish I would have known. I'd, I would, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have had any advice to give. I didn't know anything either. Uh, but if I knew now, then 10 years ago, man, it could have been a big different game for them. Yeah. You know? and, yes. and unfortunately, neither of us knew that. Right. Yeah. I mean, time is so important when it comes to retirement savings. And I think that that also probably has been a challenge for us. We'll call it a headwind. You know, we have we have in society today, we have become more than ever a society of instant gratification. We literally don't have to wait for anything anymore. Super impatient. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so the thought of like, you know, basically what Bloom and, and the retirement industry is asking is that take action today and you're not going to have you're not going to have any benefit or enjoyment from this maybe for decades down the road it's a tall ask it's a tall oh, yeah. ask. It's 100% true we are genetically wired for instant gratification i mean it's just the way the brain is wired like the yeah. idea of if one thing today versus three things tomorrow we'll take that one thing today everybody's yeah. wired like that you know yeah which is one of the reasons you know these these sites like robinhood Mm -hmm. um, although the stock has been under tremendous pressure recently had have done so well it's like they've turned they have turned investing which is supposed to be a long-term proposition um, under the guise of helping people and investing it's turned into a casino and, and human beings are attracted to that get rich quick like could I invest money today and actually have more money tomorrow type thing uh, it attracted a ton of users to the platform. I really, really worry though. Um, it works when the market goes up and up and up. I really worry about what happens to those people, you know, when the market starts to turn, you know, like it has been this last month. I, I'm going to resist rabbit holing on this because I could go another two hours on this, but I, I in some ways I, I noticed, I noticed a lot of 20 year olds, uh, talking about investments more than it seems like ever before. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because of these types of things. I also, and so in some ways I think that's a positive because they're at least researching it. They're looking into it. And some of them are going to find, I think sound strategies and it's going to be a big win for them, right? They're going to figure that out in their twenties versus their thirties or forties. The fear I have is a lot of them aren't going to really dive into it. And they think speculating is actually investing and they don't know yeah. the difference. They don't, they don't even know that speculating might be a bad thing. And they just, it's been painted as investing. And so I, if I'm ever in those conversations, I'll say, I think that's speculating. They're like, well, I don't know what that is. I was like, you should probably know what that is before you do it's, it. It's, it's like the casino. It really is. It's not, it's no different. I mean, speculation is gambling. Yeah. I, I, I see some patterns replaying right now. I remember I was in the business in the late 1990s when the dot-com bubble burst. And I remember you know, as I told told you earlier in our, our chat, our, our focus back then was on people that, you know, for the most part, were kind of mid 50s to 60. Um, you know, this is 20 some odd years ago when we were helping people make the transition to retirement. So the bulk of our clients were kind of in that age demographic. And I remember at the height of the bubble, you know, companies like Yahoo and AOL, you know, their stock prices had just run through the roof, you know, kind of like what Tesla's stock price had done. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, gotten into the stratosphere and there's it's hard to justify it from a fundamental standpoint 
And I, I remember having clients sound minded, I'd say, you know, somewhat conservative clients calling me on the phone and asking me or wanting to buy AOL and Yahoo stock. I remember for some reason, the Yahoo, the price of like $400 a share sticks in my mind. And I remember several clients calling me, it's a small sample, but I still think it makes a point. A couple of clients call me asking me or telling me to buy them some shares of Yahoo. You know, and at the time I, I was four or five years into the business and I'm, I'm sure I probably tried to, you know, caution them, talk them out of it a little bit or make sure we weren't going in too heavy. Um, and then a year or so later when the stock market crashed, the bubble burst, I remember also the number 14, I think Yahoo stock got all the way down to 14. You know how many people called me to buy it at 14? None. Right. Yeah. <laughs> None. None. And I, and I was, we were talking the other day and one of my employees shared in our town hall, one of our bloom employees shared in our town hall that her mom had called her and asked her, I think it was about maybe buying Bitcoin. And I'm like, and I'll, and I'm, I'm humble enough to admit this. I'm, you know, I'm 49 years old. I've been in this industry for 26 years. I'm, I've got my CFP. I don't feel like I fully grasp you know, some of these, um, you know, Bitcoin, you know, alternative currency uh, plays. Um, but the fact that now we're starting to see those same things happen, you know, her mother's calling her, should I buy this? It's like the old adage, I think this goes back to the Wall Street days during the, the, the crash in the 1920s and 30s, when the guy, the shoeshine guy is giving you stock tips, probably a sign that the stock market is is overvalued and you're starting to see things like that happen more and more and it in the word you use is 100% right it is speculation it really is it's an allure to they're hearing about their friends that have made a quick buck in some of these um, you know bitcoin or dogecoin or these other stocks tesla whatever the case may be and they're coming to the party hoping to catch the the free ride yeah, cult culturally, I'm not surprised that it has um, risen in this moment because we're, we're going through a pandemic, the whole world got turned upside down. And it's not surprising that things that sort of play to our lower levels uh, are on the rise, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, online gambling, Robin Hoods, liquor sales, Bitcoins. Yeah, right. yes, yeah. everything, you know, yeah. and hey, we're all guilty of it. Uh, I picked up some new <laughs> habits in pandemic yeah. as well. But uh, I, I, th I think it's I think that has something to do with the moment that we're in. And, and mm -hmm. unfortunately, there'll be a little bit of pain and suffering that probably results from it. But we'll learn from it, too. And yeah. I think there's with Web3 in particular, uh, I'm not an expert on that. There's a lot of great things that are uh, in that with a lot of great uses. I think we're now we're feeling it out. And we're, there's going to be some giant winners and some giant losers. And then whenever we see the, the losses, we'll come out on the other side of it and realize, okay, this is, this is, I think, how we're actually supposed to use this now. Yeah. Um, I just don't like to be part of that big loss uh, phase of that, of that learning that. curve. Yeah, I like yeah, to get it. I'll catch it on the other I'll catch it on the other side, right? Uh, personally, well, hey, um, you you talked to, about a couple of stories kind of early on that really informed you know what you wanted to build with Bloom and some some personal stories of what you discovered. What about recently? Are, have there been some some customer stories or anything with the team that like really showed you that you're on the right path or like really kind of confirmed like yeah, this is why I get up each day to work on this. Yeah, you know, anytime the market. Um, has any kind of a, a sell-off. And we really, again, other than the, the short-lived crisis of 2020, the spring of 2020, 
Um, we haven't seen a bear market really in quite a while. Um, and so, you know, we're in kind of around correction territory right now in, in January, you know, 2022, um, at least in the, in the, in the tech heavy NASDAQ. Um, and so when we see sell-offs, we see kind of the pundit spinning up uh, maybe a negative narrative uh, on TV, the, the volume of questions that come in through our chat line. So if you're a Bloom client, yes, of course, we're managing your, your retirement account, your 401k, but you also have access, unfettered access to ask any financial question to a licensed advisor at Bloom. We don't do it over the phone or Zoom. It's done through uh, chat back and forth or email. Uh, and so our chat queues will get a lot busier when the markets sell off, you know, and we, we see the pattern emerging where, you know, and, and if I, I'll go back to spring of 2020, because that was really an exacerbated situation there, you know, our chat queues were full every single day of clients, you know, to some degree panicking and they're scared yeah. and they were yeah. saying, should I get out of the market? Um, should I stop my contributions? And so, you know, it, th that time period, I, I say, was was maybe the busiest our advisor team has ever been, but also the most rewarding. And the reason why I say most rewarding is that I know we were giving great advice to those people. We had no clue when the market was going to recover. No one did. If they said they did, they were lying. Nobody knows on planet Earth, not even a supercomputer, where the market's headed. We can make guesses till we're blue in the face, but they are just guesses. And so we didn't have any clairvoyance. We just knew that the right thing to do, especially for our demographic, which if the median client is, is at Bloom is 39 or 40, the median retirement age is probably yeah. 62. So the vast majority of our clients have several decades before that they can even touch this money. And so, you know, we spent all day, every day telling them, there's never been a time in the history of the market ever, not once. You cannot point to a single situation ever where the stock market in, as a whole went down and did not recover fully. And not just recovered, recovered and went on to new highs every single time. And so this time, obviously, is new information. We've never been through a global pandemic in the last century. Um, but we know that historically speaking, the right thing to do is not bail out. Certainly don't stop contributions, you know. And my guess is probably, you know, I don't necessarily have the data on this, but my guess is at least 90% of the clients that we got to engage and have that conversation with followed that advice, okay? And, and we've been fortunate, you know, in the months that followed and the years that followed that, some clients have come back around and said, well, I'm really glad that I took the time to message you guys and the advice you gave me. Thank you. Um, I'm sure they credit us for being clairvoyant. We always like say, you know, again, we didn't know where the market was headed. We just know that's not good behavior. You know, we one of the things we would tell clients all the time, it's perfectly right and normal and to be expected that you should be scared right now but it's not right to act on that fear. Yeah. Be as fear yeah. as scared as you want, but don't turn that into a, a decision around your money. Not a good, you should never make decisions with your money in a period of great fear or great greed. Either of those are bad times to make those decisions. Yeah. And it's it, the, your, your customers will probably never be able to know this or quantify this, but uh, in that moment, that 90% that you had them stay the course, um, you know, any fee that they've paid Bloom, 
mean, you returned 100x, 1,000x. They'll never, they'll never pay us a fee. Uh, they'll never equal that, right? Yeah. And, and, yeah, that's 100% right. And, and, I, um, and the thing that brings me great joy is I know most likely had we not started Bloom, the idea for Bloom that came to us in January of 2013, had we not started this company, very likely, you know, the 24,000 clients that we have roughly today, um, they would have been left to their own devices. They wouldn't have had that option to message an advisor for the most part, you know, because a lot of these people came to us having been forced to do it themselves before Bloom. Now they've got somebody they could lean on. And I just felt so good that like, because I think back to, you know, during the financial crisis of 08 and 09, this is pre-Bloom. These were all, all the clients I worked with back then were folks that had at least a half a million dollars. And they got my advice during the financial crisis, which was don't sell, hang on. You got to hang on. And what happened in that case too, everything came back and then some. So it's like, yeah, these wealthy people who had already, who are already wealthy are getting this great advice. And then everybody else pre-bloom didn't have that option, didn't have somebody to turn to that had their best interest. So I think it makes us feel really good when we see our clients with that kind of feedback, we see the pattern emerging now, you know, like I said, the market's down again, our questions will increase and we will continue to preach that, that gospel to them. You know, I tell my advisor team all the time, they've got social media, 24 seven news in their ear, spouting generally bad advice, fear and panic and hyperbole. You know, we get our clients ears a couple times a year. So when we have their ears, we've got to be doing our best to give them this kind of education. Yeah, it, I can, I can, I'm thinking about your customer journey. It's like, here's how we get you on the right path because maybe you weren't even beginning on a path, right? It might've been sitting in a money market or something. Mm -hmm. So let's get you on the right path. Let's get a plan. We can adjust that based on life events, right? But it, it, the other value prop is like, when, th when times are bad, that's where we're the, the most help because we will try to be sort of sanity uh, for you in that moment and a second voice to kind of keep you on that path. Right. So it kind of feels like there's like two big moments. So when, when bad times hit, you guys are the, are the most valuable. Uh, it's the most, it's the biggest value to your customers is because you're going to help them stay on a course and not use fear and emotion to make bad decisions. I gotta be honest. I've done a number of these podcasts over the years and I, I've got to compliment you. You get this, you absolutely get this. You know, we talk, one of the other things we talk about is, um, you know, there are things that when it comes to investing that are important, like, um, you know, trying to minimize fees whenever you can, um, being smart about your overall allocation. When you're young, you should be more heavily weighted in stocks. As you get close to retirement, you pull, you get a little bit more conservative. Um, a lot of people put so much effort into the chase of security selection. Got to buy the right mutual fund got to buy the right mix of stocks. But I'm telling you, security selection, fee minimization, the right asset allocation, you can throw it all out the window if your behavior sucks. I mean, what I mean by that is if you are going to be chasing returns in, in, in markets that are going through the roof and then selling out when things are going down, you do that a handful of times in your life, we call it wash, rinse, and repeat, and you're out of money. You know, unfortunately, a lot of people left of their own devices, driven by human emotion, that's the patterns that they follow. And if nothing else, if Bloom can help our clients just with better behavior during really 
strong bull markets and really scary bear markets, you're right, we will earn our fee in multiples. They'll never pay us in fees what we could potentially save them. But that is, I think that's why it's been a challenge for us to market. It's like, how do you like make that abstract? How do you quantify, you know, like yeah. you're going to make dumb mistakes, you know, most likely because you're human. I would too, I do too with my own money sometimes because I'm an emotional driven being like we all are, you know, you need to hire Bloom so we can keep you from making those mistakes. Like that's a hard message to convey <laughs> and for people to recognize you're right. You know, I'm going to do, I'm going to mess this up. So here you go. Yeah. It's like, you know, that if you grew up in a household where people, you know, parents say, Hey, if everybody's jumping off the cliff, would you do it too? In finance, that's what happens. Everybody sort of jump off the cliff and everybody's like, Oh, I don't know what's down there. I'm going to go jump. And the, right. And in a financial, you know, the value is an advisor saying like, no, just keep mushing your feet and just keep moving yes. forward. Even when it gets tough. In fact, you know, it might hurt for a little bit, but you know, dollar cost averaging and that type of stuff, it's proven to always work. Just keep it moving and, and you'll, it'll be paying off, especially if you're 40, right? Like you don't need to be paying a you got time on your side. Yes. Time is on your side. So yeah, that's I, great. I, I, I used to, I, I say all the time that I think I should have gotten a degree in psychology instead of business, because I feel like as an <laughs> advisor, I use that way more than the economics of the market. Completely. And that's in marketing world, it's what it is. It's like behavioral economics. If you don't understand the psychology or that type of thing, you're not going to be that effective. It's just going to be shiny, decorative yes. objects. So you got to understand people. You got to understand like what's the circumstance that they're in and how do you help them out of it? So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Chris, this has been great. Love hearing the story and the background. The stories are great. Um, and, and love what you're building and the accessibility that you're providing to people who didn't have anything like that before. Thank you. Thank you. I, I love telling the story. Um, we could talk for hours on this. So happy to reconnect and um, we, maybe we can go down one of those rabbit holes you talked about earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we may not want to air that because I know we're getting a lot of comments uh, if we go down that rabbit hole. So yeah. All well, right. Enjoyed it, Chris. The opportunity. I appreciate it.